Well, uh, that song was released when I was 13 years old, 1985, by a band named Tears for Fears. Anybody remember Tears for Fears? Now, uh, really interesting thing, that song has been covered by so many other artists. Other bands have their rendition of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. It's been covered 127 times. Uh, Reliant K covered it in 2011. Lord covered it in 2013. Weezer covered it in 2019. And I tell you that because the lyrics hold so true. These lyrics are evergreen, right? Everybody has always wanted to rule the world. Everybody wanted to rule the world in 1985. They still want to today. And, and my guess is if somebody had written that in the 1930s and 40s, it would have been just as relevant. Or 1776, it would have been relevant. Or 33... <laughs> Or 33 AD, that song is never irrelevant. Uh, doesn't it seem true there are so many people who are wanting to rule the world? And of course, that means people who are wanting to control everyone else, but it also means people who want to enforce their personal rules. I don't know about you, sometimes I get tired of so many rules. Um, have you ever walked into a restaurant, and in addition to the very professional sign on the door that says the name of the place and the hours, and uh, maybe the very well-designed menu board, that restaurant you go to has paper signs all over the place, paper signs telling you the rules? Um, Wednesday night, we had our small group here at church, and uh, it was such a nice night. Uh, Kennedy and I, afterwards, we, we were like, let's go get some ice cream. And so we went to the local ice cream parlor. I won't say which one. And uh, do you know how you can look through the window at an ice cream place into the freezer so your eyes can see the delicious ice cream and you can choose which one you want that looks delicious? All right. I took this picture. The window was covered with signs. And the signs were all of the rules. Um, there's a restaurant near our old location in Dublin. We used to go there for lunch all the time. And, and you would walk into this restaurant, and there would just be handwritten paper signs taped everywhere. There was a sign taped to the counter. If you want to pay with a credit card, they're going to charge you an extra dollar. It would say that. Uh, there was a sign taped to the soda machine that said everybody was entitled to one free refill only. That's it. Um, this place had a salsa bar uh, with one of those sneeze guards. So, you know, you don't spit or sneeze into the salsa. And uh, it had a paper sign taped to the sneeze guard that said you get one little plastic cup per order uh, when you order the one plastic cup of salsa. Uh, if they catch you coming back for more, they will charge you 30 cents. I mean, I get that it's hard to be a small business, but the signs with all the rules, it's just too much. And I wonder if that's how a lot of us feel about all sorts of rules, that they're often too restrictive and they don't really make sense, or, or that sometimes they're frivolous. I mean, you saw in that little game we played, some of the rules, the laws are just ridiculous. And I bring it up because as followers of Jesus, which if you're here, you are one, or you're likely trying to figure out what it might be to be one, as followers of Jesus, we have a weird relationship with the rules. Um, can we just say that together and acknowledge it? We have a weird relationship with the rules. It seems like within the church, and I don't just mean this church, I mean the collective church, there are two camps that people fall in when it comes to the rules or, or, or the law, okay? The first is the camp that I kind of grew up with where the rules, uh, the laws really, really matter. The, the, the thought in this camp is Christianity is all about our behavior. It's about not sinning. So if you care about Jesus and that he died on the cross for you, you're going to care about the rules. And there are many Jesus followers who kind of hang out in this camp. Now, I, I need to be clear. Uh, that doesn't mean they like the rules. 
You can be in this camp and hate the rules. You might see them as unnecessarily restrictive and frivolous, but people over here in this camp feel a moral duty to abide by the rules. And then there are many Jesus followers in this other camp who believe that Jesus came to set us free from the rules and against the law, and that Christianity, what it is, is one giant rules rebellion. And if you are in this camp right here, and by the way, when we thought about what camp rebellion would look like, apparently it's garbage on the ground and uh, an electric guitar. That's, <laughs> that's camp rebellion. If you are in this camp, it does not mean that you're out trying to break the law every day. It just means you believe Jesus came to set us free from having to follow the rules, right? That is what rebellion is. Uh, you believe that, or at least that's what camp rebellion is. Like you see the passages where Jesus is angry at the Pharisees. They were the rule keepers of that time. And, and you see him angry at those folks. And when you see those passages, they excite you. And yes, you know that the Bible is full of rules and laws and commandments and all of that, the Ten Commandments. But again, you believe Jesus came to set us free from that. There are these two tendencies among the followers of Jesus. And it's why I say Christians have a weird relationship with the rules. Now, I want you to do something for a second. I want you to try to acknowledge which of these camps might be you. Think about that. And I have a prediction, which is that it might be hard for you because you think you are so well-balanced that you're not in one or the other. So now I want you to turn to the person next to you and have them tell you which camp they think you're in because they know you better than you. All right? Will you take a moment to do that? Okay, now I'll tell you about me. I tend to be team rebel. Uh, my wife tends to be team rules, which either is why we make such a great couple or why we argue all the time. It's one, <laughs> it's one of those two, okay? Now, uh, let me show you a verse, okay? This is from Ecclesiastes 7. Uh, I think these two verses explain these two camps that I'm talking about very, very well. Look at this. Verse 16, do not be over-righteous or over-wise. Why destroy yourself? 17. Do not be over wicked. Do not be a fool. Why die before your time? Okay, in these two verses, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he's talking to, to these two people, or these two types of people who tend to fall in one of the two camps. He's talking to the over wicked, which, by the way, I think is a really funny word. Like, like it's okay to be a little bit wicked. Just don't be over wicked. <laughs> But what he's really, he's talking to those who want to live as close to the line as possible or, or who, who question whether they have to follow the rules at all. And then he talks to the over-righteous, which again, funny concept. Like, is there such a thing as being too good? Apparently so. Or more likely, what that means is overly concerned with the law. And I, I show you this passage just to say, for as long as people have been trying to rule the world, there are those who are intent on rebelling, and, and then there are those who are intent on making sure that everybody else follows the rules, even if they hate those same rules. It seems as if there are two options in your life. You have to choose. Are you team rebel or are you team rules? And you might think that that is a little bit too simple, and it probably is. But the truth is, whether you're all the way on one team or not, you have a preference. You tend to lean one way or the other. You are likely a little bit rules-averse, or you're a little bit rules-embracing. And here's what I need you to know today. That bias in you 
might be making it so you cannot receive something that Jesus was saying in his teachings. You may have read some things that Jesus has said before and never had them sink in because of this bias one way or the other. You may not be hearing something Jesus is trying to say to you today. Um, let me tell you, as a pastor, I have watched this bias affect the way that people treat people on the other team. Like question whether they are really trying to even follow Jesus because they're on this other thing and you can't be that thing and still be following Jesus. Certainly, this bias can affect the way that you vote or you treat other people in another party. Certainly, this bias will affect how we respond to conflict that comes up in our lives or opportunities that come up or any other type of person that we come across. And again, I believe your preference for one of these two teams might keep you from hearing Jesus. And this morning, I want to do my best to help you overcome this bias. I want to do it by showing you Jesus and what he knew that you might not know yet. I want you to become an insider. And whichever team you're on or whichever team you lean towards in this, I want to tell you some things this morning that might bother you a little bit. Um, if you are on Team Rebel, this is going to seem so counter to what you think Jesus was all about and life with Jesus is all about. The commandments, the rules, the law, they mattered a lot to Jesus. And they ought to matter to you. But for those of you who lean Team Rules, what might be a little bit unsettling for you, the rules may not be what you think they are. And it's possible that you may be holding yourself and other people to rules that are just not what Jesus intends. You might be putting up paper signs everywhere. Can I show you something really quick in Matthew, and then I'm going to start giving you some of this insider knowledge, which is what this series is all about. Uh, before I tell you the insider stuff, let me show you Matthew 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Jesus says this, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, look at this, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. These are strong words. If you are team rebel, these might be very disappointing to you. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, real quick, can I tell you that I've been in church a long time and I've watched all sorts of people, including me, try to explain those two terms that are circled there, abolish and fulfill, and try to explain what Jesus meant here, especially this word fulfill, and, and I'll say fulfill, oh man, we have assigned so much meaning to that. Um, specifically, I've heard people say, when Jesus said in these verses, I have not come to abolish but to fulfill, he meant he fulfilled my obligation to not have to follow or to have to follow the law. Fulfill means I no longer have to follow the law since Jesus fulfilled my obligation by dying on the cross for our sins. And, and many have taught that fulfill here means that Jesus fulfilled something um, in the way that your mobile order at Starbucks has been fulfilled. But to really understand this, what you need to know, some insider knowledge, rabbis were using these two words, abolish and fulfill, these terms, all the time. In fact, rabbis would, would use these two terms when they would accuse each other of misinterpreting the rules. So if a new rabbi came to town and they started preaching some shocking things in their sermons, like, it's okay to cheat on your spouse as long as they don't find out. Or it's okay to cheat on your taxes as long as you take the money you save and you give it to the synagogue. That rabbi might be accused of abolishing 
God's laws. And what that meant was you are misinterpreting them. Okay, it did not mean you're canceling the law or, or you're, you're saying that the law doesn't matter anymore. It meant you interpret the law in such a way that it no longer has to be followed. Jesus was accused of this all the time. And actually, Jesus accused other people of this. Um, there's this time where the Pharisees were saying that if anyone had devoted some of their possessions to God, like they had set it aside and said, this is going to be for God, those possessions could not be taken back and helped to use their elderly mother and father in a time of need. Couldn't take them back. Too late. You already devoted these to God, so you no longer can use them. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you are abolishing or nullifying God's command to honor your father and your mother. Mark 7, 13, right after he says that, he says, Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down, and you do many things like that, Pharisees. Okay, this was a thing that rabbis accused each other of, misinterpreting the law and therefore nullifying it, abolishing it. So, Jesus says, I didn't come to misinterpret the law. Rather, I came to fulfill it. And fulfill, fulfill simply meant properly interpret the law. That's it. That's it. I didn't come to misinterpret the law. I came to interpret it. When a rabbi said they were fulfilling the law, they meant I'm interpreting it correctly. And what that means is right there, the rules, the law, these things matter to Jesus. And what I'm about to show you is going to bum you out if you're on team rebel. Okay. The very next verse after this, Jesus says, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Uh-oh. If anyone thinks that they don't have to follow these commands anymore and they tell other people they don't have to, God will not be happy with them. Okay, if you're on team rules, this should be exciting for you. If you're on team rebel, this should be freaking you out right now. <laughs> Jesus is saying every command, even the little ones, must be followed. But hold on. He finishes saying this, the next verse, and, and, and this might make Team Rebel happy and freak you out if you're on Team Rules. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter even into the kingdom of heaven. Huh? Jesus picks the most law-following, rule-keeping group there is, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who do what? They actually teach the law. That's why they're called that. And he says, you have to be more righteous than them. And right now, if you are team rules, you ought to be going, uh-oh, maybe Jesus has a different idea of the law than I do. And if you're team rebel, maybe, just maybe there's a glimmer of hope here. Again, team rules, you're going, maybe the rules are not what I thought that they were. Because if those guys, the Pharisees and the teachers who literally invented the rules, if they don't make the cut, it must be something about the rules themselves. And, and I show you how complicated this is right as we dive in, because I want you to loosen your grip or your affiliation with either team this morning. Because again, I don't know that either of these are a good place to be. And if you're going to hear what Jesus has to say to you, you're going to have to recognize the inherent problems that Jesus had with both of these camps, both of these understandings. And assuming that your grip is now a little bit looser, let's ask a really important question. What does Jesus want you to think about the rules? And to answer that, let's talk about skydiving. 
Um, if you go skydiving, you can count on two things, right? An exciting experience and some instructions or teachings or rules. Uh, I looked up a, a skydiving school's rules online, and the web, website said this. Before you dive, you're going to have a jump master who gives you the following instructions. Take a look at these. First one, don't curl up into the fetal position. If you do, you can slip out of your harness. That would be a very scary thing. Second one, arch your back and hold your arms out in front of you to get you flying in the correct position. Third rule, stick your legs out in front when landing. No explanation necessary for that one. Fourth rule, fourth instruction, do everything your jump master tells you to do immediately. And finally, no pets allowed on your jump. <laughs> Which I... I read that, I had to wonder, did somebody try that with their cat and that's why they had to make the rule? I mean, why make that rule? Okay, these are not negotiable, especially if you wanna live. These are absolutes, they are teachings, they are instructions, but because they keep you and your pets from death, they are also rules. They are teachings, they are instructions, and they are also rules. Now. Hold that thought. Let me show you something in Psalm 1 on the side screens. Okay, Psalm 1 begins this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose, read this word with me, delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Okay, this Psalm that I am showing you is one of many passages in the Bible that seem to suggest that for an ancient Jewish person, they delighted in the law. Now, I don't know about you, but, but as I said at the beginning, generally speaking, I'm not a fan of the law, <laughs> or, or at least of more and more rules, right? I, 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 I certainly don't think of myself as delighting in them, and I'll tell you what, I don't want to meditate on the rules day and night. How in the world can the writer of Psalm 1 and all these other people in the Bible really delight in the law? All right, can I let you in on a secret? This is an insider thing. Your Christian Bible, my Christian Bible, translates the word Torah as law. That's the word that's in that verse, by the way. We talked about Torah a few weeks ago. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. I delight in your Torah. Christians translate Torah law. But in Jewish Bibles, do you know what that's translated to in Psalm 1 and in other places? Teachings. Instruction. And see, as Christians, we do a weird thing because we have a weird relationship with the rules. We think of Judaism as incredibly legalistic, that its adherents have to follow a bunch of nonsense laws and regulations. But here's the thing. Historical and, and contemporary Jews, they do not feel at all oppressed by the Torah. Did you know that each year, observant Jews read through the first five books of their Bible, the Torah, and after a feast in the fall, they roll the scrolls back up to put them away, and they host a huge celebration. It's called the Simchat Torah, and that means rejoicing in the Torah. And to express their joy in the Torah, people dance around the synagogue with scrolls in their arms. And as a Christian, when I heard this, I thought, what? Who wants to rejoice in the law? Because law to me is about prosecuting attorneys, speeding tickets, fines, and jail. But Torah primarily means teachings and instruction, and you can feel a difference between the way a Christian interprets Torah and a Jewish person does. My delight is in the law, or my delight is in the instruction of the Lord, and on his teachings I meditate day and night. All right, which sounds more delightful? God's laws or his teachings? Okay, 
back to skydiving. Let's imagine a different type of skydiving school, okay? This one, as you are in the plane, this instructor yells out to all of you, we here at our school believe there are many ways for you to get from the plane to the ground. And around here, we respect everybody's desire to skydive. Because of that, we don't believe in telling you how to do it. You just listen to your inner voice, and you respond honestly to whatever you're feeling, and you have a memorable experience, and we'll see you when you get down. <laughs> All right, if that was your experience, would you, would you go skydiving with that group? Most people who skydive are glad that there are strict, non-negotiable rules. The rules are there for a good reason. When we know the rules are there, it helps us delight in them. And, and that's why a mature person can delight in instruction or in teaching, or even the law. Jesus delighted in it. And, and, and here's what he wants you to think about the rules. He wants you to delight in them too. Okay, back to our teams. Is the law something to break free from, Team Rebel, or is it something to delight in? Okay, that sounds like Team Rules, the delight thing. If I'm on Team Rules, then I am winning today. All right, hold on, because there's some more insider info you need. Which instructions? Which teachings or, or rules am I supposed to be following? In fact, there are so many in the Bible, in the Old Testament, just the first five books alone. How can I even remember all these rules? And, and what I will tell you is, back then, which commandments you followed had a lot to do with what rabbi you followed. There are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. 613 things to have to remember. 613 do's and don'ts. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, these rabbis had started doing their people a favor. They'd started simplifying the rules for everyone. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember I taught you about these very long prayers called the Amida, the 18 blessings that were play, prayed three times a day. And I told you the rabbis had started to summarize or, or simplify the Amida for their people. Okay, same thing here with the rules. In, in fact, check this out. This is kind of fun. Um, some ancient Jewish literature, it's not in the Bible, but, but still it's historically accurate. It actually records a conversation between some rabbis, three rabbis sitting around, and it, it talks about how to sum up the 613 commandments into fewer and fewer commandments and ultimately end up with one commandment for everybody. And so one of the rabbis says, all right, I will sum it up with Micah 6, 8. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That is three things. 613 out of three, that's pretty good. The next rabbi says, Isaiah 56, 1, maintain justice, do what is right. Two things. Finally, the third rabbi says, Amos 5, 6, seek the Lord. One thing. Now, I show you this because what you need to know is at the time of Jesus, the rabbis and their people were greatly interested in boiling down the commandments to as few things as possible. The rabbis became more and more focused on giving people the minimum requirements of the law. What's the minimum that I've got to do? One of the rabbis at the time was a guy named Hillel. Uh, Hillel was well-respected in the time of Jesus. Uh, his scholarly work, his teachings were considered very in vogue at the time. Uh, Hillel was active as a rabbi from about 30 years before Christ was born until Jesus was about 10 years old. And one day, someone asked Hillel to explain the entire Torah while standing on one foot. Hillel's response, I'll try this on one foot, but I'm going to hold the podium. Whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. The whole Torah and the rest of the commentary, go and learn it. Sorry, that was a little bit hard. And people loved this answer. 
whatever is hateful, don't do that to your fellow man. People loved this answer so much, I can still quote it 2,000 years later. It's legendary. He simplified 613 commands into one line. Whatever is hateful to you, do not do to someone else. Summaries like this were great, but there's a problem. Aren't they sometimes kind of too simple? Or, or, or maybe too easy? Or, or, or maybe even just kind of like, yeah, no duh. Like, like here's a decorative globe I, I found on the internet. This is a, a, a seven-inch globe. Let me put this up. You ever buy a product, and on the product is a label that's just so unnecessary, and it, it is just too simple? This globe, seven inches, and on the box it says, these globes should not be referred to for navigation. Um, this electric razor I found came with this warning label, never use while sleeping. <laughs> I remember when our kids were much younger, we had a stroller with a, a warning label that said, remove child before folding. Um, <laughs> Do you ever read these things and go, what is the point? I didn't need you to tell me this. I already knew this. Okay, by the time Jesus comes on the scene, this is what's been happening with the law. Hillel boils it down to whatever is hateful to you, don't do that to your fellow man. So with that insider knowledge, check this out. One day, a Pharisee, expert in the law, comes to Jesus. And he asks Jesus this question. The book of Matthew tells us he's trying to test Jesus. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And now you know. This is a question that every rabbi would get asked. Jesus, if you had to summarize all 613 commandments into one, which one would you choose? Like, which one verse from our scripture would you choose? We know what those three rabbis chose, what verses they chose. What's the one that you're going to choose? And look at what Jesus replies. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these, read that word with me, two commandments. And in this moment, Jesus does something very different than rabbis like Hillel were doing in that day. Jesus refuses to choose one passage, one commandment. He chooses two. And this is actually very important for you to know. People who have a preference one way or the other, team rules, team rebel, and whose bias might keep you from hearing what Jesus might be trying to tell you, Jesus gives two answers to a one-answer question. Now, it's a pretty simple question. He's asked, which one is the greatest commandment? What's your version of the one thing, Jesus? And Jesus gives two answers, and you are not supposed to do that. Um, if I ask you your favorite color, and you say, it's uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. That's my favorite. That's the one that I like. That is not an answer to my question. If I had the money to buy you a car, which I don't, but if I said, uh, I said uh, I'm going to buy you a car. What one car do you want to drive? And you said a used Hummer that gets like 10 miles a gallon and a Toyota Prius. Okay, that's not an answer. That's two things and two things that don't, don't go together. They cancel each other out. That's not helpful to me. You just made it more complicated. If I ask my daughter, what grade did you get on your algebra test last Friday? And she says, I got an A and I got a D. <laughs> As a parent, I wouldn't know what to do with that because you cannot have both. This question requires a single answer. You can't have two. Jesus, which one is the greatest commandment? Everybody around us is boiling down the law to one thing. So for you, what's the one thing? And Jesus gives two. 
And here's why this is important, because these two things, each one speaks to a different team. Each one speaks to a way that each team approaches life. Imagine for a second that you believe there is one command that sums it all up. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is very likely that you would believe the best way that you can love God is to follow his instructions, his teachings, his law. If you have one command and it's love God, it's very likely you find yourself on team rules. On the other hand, if you have just one command and it's love your neighbor as yourself, it's very likely you see the rules as an impediment to the spirit of the law, which is to love everyone. If all that matters is I love my neighbor, then it's okay if I have a lustful thought about this other woman who's not my wife, because it doesn't hurt the other woman. What my wife doesn't know won't hurt her. If, if you have one command and it's love your neighbor as yourself, then it's likely you find yourself on team rebel, at least when it comes to the rules that you think of as frivolous and unnecessary. And they don't make sense to you, but they may bother God. And Jesus, instead of saying this, saying it's this or it's this, Jesus, knowing our tendency is to lean one way or the other and to oversimplify what it means to follow God, he says, I cannot name one. You are meant to live with two. And what I want you to know this morning is that the Jesus life is all about the tension in between these two things. You are supposed to be both rules and rebel. There's an author named Athol Dixon, and he writes in his book, he wrote this book called The Gospel According to Moses, What My Jewish Friends Taught Me About Jesus. It says this, if I try to love God with all my heart and soul and mind to the exclusion of everything else, I exclude the love of my neighbor and I risk viewing her as a distraction, a thing that interferes with my devotion to God. He goes on, this is the mistake of pious hermits and those of us who prefer churches or synagogues to soup kitchens. But if I center all my attention on loving my neighbor as myself and I forget about loving God, I find it impossible to maintain the neighborly love because I'm no longer connected to the source of love itself. True love must flow from God through me to everyone else. So, is love the Lord the greatest commandment, or is it love my neighbor? And the answer is yes and yes. And whichever team you think you're on, what you need to know is you are supposed to be both. You get to be both. Now, there's one more thing you need to know about Jesus' answer besides that when they wanted one thing, he gave them two. Jesus raised the bar from where Hillel had lowered it. Because Jesus' answer requires you to actually do something. Remember Hillel's answer to what is the greatest commandment? It was, do not do what is hateful to your fellow man, right? Okay, Jesus' answer was to love. And to love is way harder than to do no hurt. If by the time Jesus came, people were focusing on the minimum, just don't hurt anybody, Jesus' answer compels us to focus on the maximum. And that may seem subtle. It is revolutionary. You know, most of us can find it in our power to avoid being hateful. How much harder is it to love your neighbor as yourself? Here, let me just show you how this plays out. I'm from the Midwest. It snows there. It's a thing. When there's a snowstorm, Hillel would say, shovel your sidewalk so that nobody slips and hurts themselves. Okay, Jesus says, shovel your sidewalk and then shovel your neighbor's sidewalk too. When you are pinched financially, Hillel says, don't steal. 
Okay, Jesus says, look around to see who's worse off than you and find a way to help them. When somebody annoys you, Hillel says, oh, don't badmouth that person. That would be hateful. Jesus says, find something kind to say to and about that person. If somebody forces you to go one mile, Hillel says, go. Jesus says, eh, go two. And Jesus raises the bar. See, Jesus did not come to abolish the law, get rid of it. And he didn't come just to interpret it or fulfill it. He came and made it harder. Love. And you are supposed to do both and live in the tension that creates. Let me, let me ask you today. Are you more rebel or are you more rule follower? And how can you do better at being both? How can you be aware of your bias and start living into both commands that Jesus gives? Not just the one that's easiest for you or that is most comfortable to you, but the other one that does not come quite so simply. How can you, when you come across people who approach God very different than you approach God, or the rules very different than you approach the rules, how can you better live with them with the understanding that, that they're just mistakenly thinking that Jesus gave the one command and they're following that one? And maybe most importantly, let me ask you, let me ask you one more question. Where might God be wanting to raise the bar for you right now? Where is he saying to you, uh, uh, my command is greater than to not hurt. It is to love. I think God might be speaking to you this week. And, and now that you are called and free to be both, you're called to be both. Think about that. I think you're going to find it easier to hear him. So, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go. God, we love you so much for being a God who gave us rules, teachings, instructions. Thank you for not throwing us out of a plane without a how-to manual. Thank you for showing us what it, it looks like to love you as well as to love our neighbor. God, I, I ask that you would show us this week which way we lean, what our bias is, and, and you would draw us to better understand those who might lean the other way from us. And God, you, you would show us, you would invite us to live in this tension between these two, a marriage of rules and rebel. And all God people said, amen. amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.